Uh, a few weeks ago, we had a lesson on the resurrection. Uh, but not just any resurrection, it was on the resurrection. You know, but, but the Old Testament and New Testament, they are filled with plenty of accounts of individuals who have uh, been raised from the dead. We can think of in the Old Testament, the, the prophet Elijah and Elisha uh, both raised individuals from the dead. And even in the New Testament, you remember Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. Uh, Tabitha uh, was raised from the dead as well as uh, Eutychus. But really, the, the one that we're probably most familiar with is in John chapter 11 with Lazarus, uh, that he was resurrected. He was in the tomb for four days when Jesus came and uh, resurrected him and brought him back from the dead. But the thing about Lazarus was eventually he would die again. But when I, uh, the lesson that we looked at a few weeks ago, again, the resurrection, that was different. That, that was Jesus who died for our sins according to the scriptures. And also, uh, in that moment, defeated uh, death, being now the firstborn from the dead. You know, resurrecting someone uh, during the, the days uh, of miracles when Jesus lived on the earth, that would have been quite a miracle to see. You know, maybe it was a little bit more convincing than seeing somebody prophesy or seeing somebody miraculously healed. But to see someone be raised from the dead, that had quite to, uh, to have been the sight. Uh, but... You know, we're no longer living in those days. You know, nobody's being resurrected from the dead anymore. But we are still awaiting one more time for a resurrection to occur. And notice with me in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Jesus says here that there's going to be a day in which a resurrection, another resurrection will occur. All those who have previously died will be resurrected. Those to a resurrection of life who did good deeds and those who committed those evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Uh, there's no uh, separate uh, resurrection as sometimes uh, uh, Denominations will teach, uh, talking about, uh, you know, the, the righteous will be uh, raptured, will be resurrected, and then a thousand years later, uh, the, then the, the wicked will be resurrected. Well, no, Jesus said right here in this verse that it'll happen at the same time. Uh, Daniel in the Old Testament refers to it as well. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And Paul uh, Paul in Acts chapter 24, verse 14 and 15, uh, he says this while he's on trial. But thus I admit to you that according to the way, which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Well, when it comes to the resurrection... 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the most exhaustive chapter on this topic, and that's what we're going to study here this evening. So I'd invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, this, this is a wonderful chapter. He starts off, of course, by Jesus, or excuse me, by Paul referring that Christ was raised from the dead and that his resurrection is the guarantee of the resurrection to come. But we're going to focus on verses 35 through 58 because Paul is going to talk in detail about the resurrection of the body, this resurrection that is still to happen one day. And we're going to find out uh, some things about this, 
But it's not going to be everything. You know, Paul's going to let us know that some of these things still are going to remain a mystery. And again, this isn't Jesus's resurrection that's in context here. But this is those who have passed on. Those who uh, are no longer alive when Jesus returns. And so the resurrection of dead, of course, is what the Christian believes in. Now, some people may say, well, you know, I don't really care. Uh, You know, I'm not really interested in what happens at that point as long as I'm with Jesus. But But if all scripture is profitable, then shouldn't it matter to us? If Paul uh, wrote, uh, you know, 58 verses worth of material on the resurrection, it should be uh, important to us as well. You know, and really what God's saying here through Paul in these verses is that I'm not through, you know, with these with these bodies. So let's let's notice a few things. Let's notice as we start in verse 35, Paul writes, but someone will say, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? You know, maybe this is a legitimate question that the Corinthians had, or maybe he's dealing with with some sort of error. You you know, you remember the Sadducees in Scripture? You know, often we we think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and we often talk about the Pharisees. But the Sadducees, they had their own uh, problems as well, because they did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in spirits. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in any sort of afterlife. And so in Matthew chapter 22, they come to Jesus and they try to you know, catch him in a fault. They try to trick him. Remember, they came to him and asked him about uh, this question. They said, uh, this man marries a woman and, and the man passes away and had no children. And then she married his brother. And again, the same scenario happened. And so then she married the next brother and the next brother all the way to the seventh brother. And they asked Jesus, well, then whose uh, wife will she be in the resurrection? You remember what Jesus' answer was to that? He told them that you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures, nor the power of God. You know, because he's getting at that people will rise from the dead. You know, we, we ask these questions, too, as well. You know, we'll, we'll say maybe, maybe in a fun scenario like, we'll say, well, when, when I'm resurrected, am I going to be in my 16-year-old body or my 61-year-old body? You know, well, I still have that chronic leg injury that I've been dealing with. Well, I still have that long scar on my back. You know, what if I'm cremated? You know, is God still going to be able to resurrect my body? What if I was lost at sea or an explosion happened? You know, some incident where my body was never found. You know, people ask those questions all the time. Uh, But people, when they do that, you know, they're doubting the power of God. They're doubting a God who gave Abraham the ability to have a child when he was 100 years old. They doubt the ability uh, of God when, uh, who uh, had Joshua marched around Jericho seven times and blow the trumpet and those walls fell down. They doubt the ability of God who, who, who had a virgin give birth to uh, a son. Again, God's power is not limited. And that includes the resurrection of these earthly bodies. You know, you remember Mr. Potato Head? You know, you, you have this uh, potato shaped thing and you stick, you know, different eyes and ears and mouths in it. And you can have all these different combinations. That's not going to be the resurrection. You know, God knows who you are and what body you lived in or some sort of disorganized drunk, junk drawer, you know, and you just get in these spare parts everywhere. You know, God knows exactly where you are. 
And so uh, the body will be transformed, we'll hear later. Let's look at verses 36 through 41 and consider the examples in creation. Paul continues and says, You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wishes, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another of flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. You know, he, he, he really gives us two arguments here to really understand uh, sort of these scenarios of, of what it means to have our bodies resurrected. You know, again, probably this, this question that was being asked wasn't sincere since we saw in verse 36 that Paul returns this reply by calling them fools. Uh, or again, maybe they were just ignorant and they really truly wanted to understand what it meant to be resurrected. And so the first example he gives is of agriculture. You know, think of a sunflower seed. You know, you take a sunflower seed out of the sunflower plant off the head of the sunflower it's no longer alive. Right? It's now dead. You know, it's interesting that they've found, you know, in Egyptian tombs, they've gone into Egyptian tombs and found seeds that are thousands of years old just sitting there, and they've taken those seeds and planted them into the ground. And guess what? They still grew. They still worked. Well, you take this seed off the head of a sunflower, and it's dead, and you plant it into the ground... And guess what? Something better, more glorious emerges from that. It, it resurrects into something beautiful and glorious. And we understand that, you know, if you were to get into farming, uh, you probably wouldn't get into that profession if all you did was take one seed, plant it in the ground, and another seed popped up. But when you plant that one seed into the ground, it produces hundreds and hundreds of more seeds just from that one seed. It more beautiful Uh, than what it originally looked like. And likewise, Paul says the body must die in order to be resurrected and live again. And that new body will be more glorious. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But the God who can bring a seed back from the dead, Paul says he can do that with our bodies as well. And then he, he talked about creation a little bit. He talked about the different fleshes, you know, the human flesh and, and animal flesh, bird flesh, uh, fish flesh. Uh, God has created a variety of different fleshes. And again, he is not limited in his power. You know, it's not hard for him. He make all these different sorts of flesh, fleshes, these bodies, for him to make a spiritual body. Uh, heavenly bodies, earthly bodies, again. You know, Psalm 19 says that we can look up at the heavens and the heavens declare his glory. We see design in the universe just by looking up at the stars. Uh, Job tells us that he did not or that they did not just hang themselves, that God had this all in mind. He planned these things. And when we look at those things, the earthly bodies, the heavenly bodies, you know, these things are glorious. And again, God created each and one of those. Can he not much more? Create this new resurrected spiritual body that Paul's going to talk about here a little bit more. 
Let's look at verses 42 through 49, changing from fleshly to spiritual. Paul writes, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable bubble, excuse me, it is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man Adam became a living soul, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As in the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we also bear the image of the heavenly. You know, there was a lot of contrasts that Paul wrote about in those verses between the, the, the physical fleshly body that we live in right now and that new spiritual body that we will partake of one day at the resurrection. You know, maybe there's some definitions that we need to talk about first before we go any further. You know, what is death? In scripture, uh, death is a separation of the soul from the body. We, we read about that in, in James chapter 2, uh, verse 26, for instance. James tells us there, that uh, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. You know, the body without the spirit results in death. Well, what's the opposite of that? Well, of course, that would be resurrection. Uh, that's when the soul rejoins the body. Uh, that's, uh, Elijah, when he uh, restored the, the, the life of a child, resurrected a child, uh, we're told in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 22, that the soul rejoined the body. And so to be resurrected, it implies that our souls are going to rejoin our bodies. Although they, they may lay in the grave at this time, they will be rejoined. But Paul says, now we are flesh, and at the resurrection we will go from fleshly to perishable, or excuse me, spiritual. You know, and, and again, all of these contrasts he gave, perishable, to imperishable, dishonor, to glory, a body of weakness, to a body of power, a natural body, to a spiritual body. And these fleshly bodies are not the end, but they're just the beginning. Remember in Philippians chapter 3, uh, Paul was writing in verses 10 and 11, he talked about how he wanted to know the power of the resurrection, and he also wanted to attain to it one day. And then he went on to say in verse 21 of Philippians 3 that Jesus will transform our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Again, this great transformation from flesh to the spiritual. You know, our current bodies, we understand, are wearing out. But these new ones will be for eternity. Well, some might say at that, well, you know, do I necessarily need to treat this body that I'm in in the best? Because if I've got another body, a greater body, a, a, a more glorious and powerful body waiting for me, then what's the big difference about uh, my body in the flesh? Well, remember Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, uh, that our bodies are not our own. That God owns these bodies still. And so we need to take care of those. But again, by comparison, the spiritual body 
that we just read about sounds infinitely, infinitely better. And this earthly body is still going to fail us. But as Christians, we have the hope, the faith, that we will uh, have this spiritual body one day at the resurrection. Uh, notice, I said again, I said that Paul says that a lot of this is a mystery, that we don't know all that's going to take place. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, notice what the Apostle John says about this. He says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Again, we don't know exactly what we are going to look like, but John lets us know we are going to be like him. We are going to be like Jesus. And that's a comforting thought. We do not know everything about this new body, but it is comforting to know that uh, the things that have been revealed to us. Verses 50 through 57, Paul talks about conquering death and comprehending this mystery. Notice uh, Paul writes, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, those are verses that are often, often read at funerals uh, because of the comfort that they give. But the point is, is that death will be conquered what was once perishable and corruptible and mortal will be changed to something unperishable, incorruptible, immortal. You know, these, again, these flesh and bone bodies that we're living in, that we're walking around in, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so, again, most of this, Paul says, is a mystery there in verse 51. It is beyond our mortal understanding. You know, we think, well, you know, I haven't seen brother so-and-so so long. He's been... You know, he died, you know, 60, 70 years ago. And just to think about maybe what his body looks like in his coffin at this time, God says that he will be raised. Or again, someone may say, well, they never found the body. But again, his power is infinite. His body was ravaged with cancer. But again, God will do what he can in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. We will be changed. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul takes a quote from Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, Hosea chapter 13, verse 4. He sort of fuses them together, and he's personifying death. You know, he's mocking death. Uh, death is going to die. He's going to lose. Back in verse 26, he calls death the last enemy. Right? This is the, the last enemy in God's way. What was said about Jesus 
you know, could be said about you and I someday as well. For he is not here because he has risen. What should we care about the resurrection? Again, we're going to close sort of on this point on verse 58. I love verse 58 of this chapter uh, because it is committed to an eternal cause. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You know, they always teach you in school when you see that word therefore in the scripture, uh, you need to know why, why it's there for. And you go back and read what you just read previously. And Paul says, therefore, because of all of this, because death has been defeated, because you've been promised an immortal, imperishable body, you need to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And those who know this, those who know this are willing to wear themselves out, these physical bodies, in God's service. Again, they, they believe and they know that I have another body, a more glorious body set aside that will never wear down. You know, again, uh, thinking about what Paul said in the book of Philippians and in, in chapter 1, verse 21, he says to live as Christ and to die as gain. You know, he understood that it would be better for him to be with Christ. But because of the Philippians and the other churches that he was dealing with, uh, it was better for him to be there in the flesh to work with them. And so in chapter 3, he says a couple of times in verse 12 and 14, I press on, I press on, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Again, if you truly believe uh, of what the scriptures say here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that there is a new body awaiting you, a, a body that uh, you'll never have to go see a doctor again, never have to take a bandage, you'll never have to take Advil or Tylenol, a new body, you are going to wear this body out, this fleshly body out in his service. You know, some of you may be uh, interested in long distance running or something like that. Not me, but some of you might be. But I, I do know that you know, there are some who, uh, when they start those races, uh, they'll start out at a steady pace. And then there are those who will begin with a burst of speed. But then there are those who, you know, they begin with a trot. You know, they take it easy at first, hoping to save some energy so that towards the end of the race, they can burst towards the end, towards the finish line. But many times when we see that, you know, they've, they have no way of catching up. They've saved too much time for the end. They could never catch up to the leader. Do we trot along and wait in this life, in our Christian lives? Paul says, don't do that. Don't save up time, but always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, uh, you think of Major League Baseball. You know, there was a time when uh, Major League Baseball pitchers didn't have pitch counts. You remember, uh, if you were, if you're the best pitcher in your uh, year in your division, you're going to receive what's called the Cy Young Award. Well, Cy Young, back in the year 1890, you know, he threw two complete games on the same day. You know, they didn't worry about those things. But now coaches and general managers, they're worried about their investments, their million-dollar investments, and so they're trying to protect them from overdoing it, you know, throwing out their arms. But again, Paul is saying, don't be worried about underdoing it, but overdoing it. Again, these bodies are meant to wear out. God has something better in store for the faithful Christian who follows Christ. Your labor will not be in vain for the Lord. 
So service to him. Again, with all of these things that he's promised us in this chapter, it's the least that we can do that he has promised for us. Again, as we uh, sort of conclude this lesson at this time, what happens to me after I die? You know, a lot of times people will say, you know what, again, it just doesn't really matter. But we just talked about one aspect of it, the, the resurrection of our bodies. And Paul, again, he said a lot about it. He says he should matter to us. Again, when we understand the power of God and the promise to raise us from the dead, to give us these new spiritual bodies, imperishable, it's going to change the way that we use these fleshly bodies. And what will we look like? Again, I don't know. You don't know. It remains a mystery. But we do know that it'll be glorious. Think of our own fleshly body and how, it, how intricate and awesome it is. You know, scientists don't even know everything about our own fleshly bodies. But how much more awaits for the Christian for that spiritual body? Again, the grave is not the end for the faithful Christian. In John chapter 11, verse 23 through 25, again, this is the account of, of Lazarus. Uh, Jesus comes to see Mary and Martha, uh, the, the sisters of Lazarus. And Jesus tells uh, Martha in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know, Lord, I know that's going to happen on the resurrection on the last day. You remember what Jesus said to her? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And again, remember John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29 that we started uh, this, this evening. The, the two aspects of the same resurrection, either eternal life or uh, eternal uh, judgment. To have the glorious second resurrection, you must reenact the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know that that's done, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, that's done in baptism. And the scriptures say to become a Christian, uh, to be in Christ, to be put in Christ, to be uh, saved from our sins, to have our sins washed away, that we must hear the word of God, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, to repent uh, of our sins, meaning we're going to change our mind uh, to things that are contrary to God's law, and we're going to follow Christ in this life. Confess him as Lord, and then again, be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to his church, and your sins will be washed away, and you'll live a faithful life for him as long as we continue to walk in that light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Or this evening, we also offer the invitation, if anyone here uh, is in need of prayer and encouragement of the congregation here, the brothers and sisters, uh, we would love to pray for you or to help you in any way that we can. Please let us know as together we stand and sing.